0: on, and we're, we're going for it. A lot of fun, just to, it's just for fun, you know, just to have something cool to wear and, and actually long to wear. Uh, we're getting weather up the hill, so tonight when I go home, it's going to be cold, and I've got my long sleeve shirt on here, so very cool. Hey, um, I'm so glad that you're here tonight, because uh, tonight we're going to uh, recap, I'm actually going to do two weeks of this recap of Genesis, because uh, of the the content of this book is so vitally important for you as a Christian to understand. I, I believe if you um, have a grip of Genesis, you're able to so understand the rest of the Bible, uh, Old and New Testament. And like I said last week, we start, started our study verse by verse through this book in January of 2016. So for 21 months, we've been studying this book chapter by chapter, building its, its um, uh wonderful theme from the beginning creation all the way to uh, the end of Jacob's life. We begin, very interestingly, um, with God creating from nothing everything that's in the universe, which we'll cover tonight. And then we end in the grave, we, we end in a casket, Jacob. Jacob. And Really, for you and for me, as we read the book of Genesis, the important takeaway for us is to understand how did, how did the world begin so perfectly, and, and Eden was, was utopia, and Eden was sinless, and then there was death introduced. We're going to look at that tonight. That's, that's really what we see, but, but again, I remember so many months ago, and I, I, I went back and I checked this out. I listened to it. It was really interesting. I kind of led you on. And I had made the comment saying, I want everybody to just repeat after me, take your time, pastor. And then I, I asked the question, I said, you know, how many will, will give me the time to take whatever it takes to get through this series in the book of Genesis? And everybody said, take your time, pastor. And I said, well, thank you very much, I will. And it's been 21 months and so, like I said last week, you all deserve an award, really, for, <laughs> for going through this study. But, but uh, this study just reminds me of my family and taking so many family trips when I was a young father, just taking my kids to Utah uh, over and over again. We'd go to Utah camp, see the stars at night, and, and uh, each trip was different. The kids grew, and we went there a couple of years ago with the grown-up kids and grandkids, uh, to see the park again, but it, as I think back on all of those trips that we took as a family, it kind of all comes together, and I believe the same is true with this, this study. As we look back now at Genesis, it all comes together, and it's so important for you because it comes together in terms of, of the, the foundations that this book presents. Uh, every chapter builds on the next chapter, and even though maybe you've forgotten some of the main parts, and some of you may have joined us halfway through or maybe just in the last, you know, couple of months or even weeks, uh, tonight I'm going to go back and, and repeat some of the things, but we're going to look at the scriptures, we're going to see those things, and I've got this creation video I'm going to show you again that I, I started the study out with, it's really fantastic. But we're going to look back from the summit. We have an overview now. We understand the book a little bit better. We're going to look back at it tonight. So I'm going to ask you that you just bow in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for our study over the past 21 months. Again, we just are so grateful that you've taught us much. And tonight, as I recap these things, as we go over these things again, I pray that it would just bring more encouragement, the truth of your word about creation, biblical creation, Not the kind of creation that that we're kind of force fed in our culture today, but biblical creation, the way it's written about. And and help me, Lord, to uh, again present those truths. So we thank you, Father, for this time in your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. This book, Genesis, means what? You remember what it means? Beginnings. This is the book of beginnings, this is the book of origins. This is the begin, beginning of everything as we look at this book. It answers the questions, where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? This book really answers the question of how did it all begin? I mean, isn't that the question everybody is wrestling with? Even today, you'll get people that, that say, well, I think it came from here, or I think it was this way. But we have the answer to that question right here before us in this book of Genesis, again, starting with the creation of the world, which we're going to look at tonight, we work through this whole uh, wonderful six-day story, and then we go into the creation of man and woman, chapter 2, and and it's very detailed, and God's uh, beautiful plan, and the way he created man after his own image, not like any other creation of his. On the sixth day, he makes man after his own image image. And he creates man without sin in a sinless world. And then we get to chapter 50, as I've said, we find a dead man in a casket. And, and so you scratch your head and you go, well, gee, how did we, we get there? We go from the garden to the grave, the fall of the human race. That's what this story is about. And that's what it presents as we look at it. Now, how did sin affect the human race and all of us have our stories we're all sinners most of us in this room understand that we we recognize that but genesis is the story that reveals man's choice to sin revealing that sin did not originate anywhere near god sin came from outside of god in the heart of man again that's what this chapter is about, but, but the story goes on and on. And as we've looked at the story and God working through his people, his chosen, choosing a pagan man out of a pagan household, Abraham, and then through his seed and his son, Isaac, and, and then Jacob, and we know the story and how far it goes, all the way to Jesus Christ, Those things are so important for us to understand because in that we see the grace of God, that God has a plan, that his plan is masterful, and that we really need to submit to the Lord and understand that he's all-powerful and understand that he has this sovereign plan. Again, we looked at God's providence, his plan of working in the lives of men it's the word providence. We've seen that. And let me just remind you, it was a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at chapter 50, we saw God's providence. Here's my little point here. Verse 20 of chapter 50, this is what Joseph says to his brothers, but as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. And he did it in order to bring about to this day to save many people alive. It's always God's plan to save people throughout the Bible. It begins here in Genesis, but we see that repeating theme. It's God's work of redemption throughout the Bible. Not luck, remember? Not fortune, not good fortune, not luck, not karma, but God working for our good, for his glory, the sovereign work of God, his hand, it's, it's never random. It's never random circumstance. It's, it's God working. He has a purpose and he overrules evil. He does it all the time. And we really need to understand this. So we're going to go back to Genesis 1 tonight. So I want you to go back there to Genesis chapter 1. Open your Bibles there. And I want to highlight some of the key parts, again, of this section of our Bibles Uh, creation of the world, creation of man, Adam and Eve, man's fall and the flood. These things are, are what are called foundations for life. And you'll remember that's what I called the first 11 chapters way back when. Foundations for life. These are all foundations for us. And and as we begin Genesis chapter 1, we, we see this story. It's an epic story. If there's anything epic in life, and that's a word we use a lot. Awesome, and now it's epic. Epic, if there's anything epic, it's this story about creation. And it begins here. These 11 chapters, chapter 1 through chapter 11, is from Adam, my next point here, to Abraham. Adam to Abraham is what we learned in chapters 1 through 11. But let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I truly, with all my heart, believe that if You don't get this from the very beginning. If you don't uh, receive literally the creation account, you won't have a Christian worldview the rest of the Bible. You'll have your own view. It's preconceived. You brought your own set of circumstances or biases into the story. So we start here, and I, I just ask, please, don't bring anything here. Receive God's word as it's written literally because what you believe about this account will determine how you look at the rest of the Bible. It's so important that you understand that. You either believe that God created everything that you see in the heavens, the beautiful mountains that, we, that surround the valley here, the, st- the sunlight, the stars, and the moon. You either believe that God created all of those things or you believe it evolved randomly, by chance. There, there's only two ways to believe. There's not a third position, not in the Scripture. Now, again, you can bring your bias, you can bring your educational bent, or you can come to the Scripture as God's holy word. That, that there's, and there's only two opinions here, I mean two views, and that's that God created everything or that it just randomly happened over you choose. I mean, it's, it's always changing—millions, or billions, or quad billions now, or zillions. Uh, science has always said all you have to do is add time to the equation, and you'll get, you'll get something that works. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Now look again at the verse one. It says, "In the beginning, God." It, it's a very interesting phrase there. It's saying. It's Barith Elohim. It's speaking of our God. Elohim is the plural form. You look at your Bible in English, it says God. But Elohim is the plural form of the name God. If you look up Elohim, you'll find out it's not one. It's actually a plural, Elohim. Again, I believe that the Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were involved in creation, I'll show you some of those things, but, but God, God in three persons, and I believe this name, again, is alluding to that very truth. Notice this verse behind me on the screen, John 17. And now, O Father, Jesus says, glorify me together with yourself with a glory, notice, which I had before the world was. These are the words of Jesus. He's saying that He's always existed. And then in verse 24 of of John 17, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The Bible clearly teaches throughout Old and New Testament that God has always existed, that everything that does exist came from God and that Jesus Christ, the eternal God, has always existed with God the Father. In other words, the New Testament declares that Jesus is creator. That's what the word of God teaches. Let me show you again what Colossians, what Paul says to the believers at Colossus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation. Again, I've, I've talked about that word, firstborn, not firstborn in flesh, This is just his authority. He's firstborn. Remember, we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the firstborn rights. The firstborn rights were given to that firstborn, but not always to the firstborn. Remember, sometimes it was given in Jacob's fourth son, Judah, the firstborn rights went to him. So it's speaking of the rights, the rights of ownership. So when you read this in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. He owns the rights of creation. That's what that means. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities, power. All things were created, notice, through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things. Consist. The Bible teaches that Jesus has always existed with the Father and that Jesus is the one that created everything that exists. That's what the Scriptures teach. How could that be? In the beginning, Elohim, God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are active in creation. Now, there are three Hebrew words, and if you could read Hebrew, this is what it would look like. These words that we're reading Should be up here. Do we have those? There they are. See those words? Now, if you're reading Hebrew, you'd read those backwards. And it would say, Elohim, Barah, and Bersit. These are these words. We translated in the English, uh, in the beginning, God. But in the Hebrew, it's it's Elohim and Barah. From nothing he created, ex niho in the Latin. God created from nothing. And I love that truth, bara there. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful word. And it means that God has from nothing, from no material, no matter, created everything that you see. Again, I know that goes against things that you learn in, in biology and in science today. Things that I learned In my high school and college days as well. But the scripture says that God needed no pre-existing matter to make what he made. The scripture says that God is all powerful. And in his power, he just spoke and it was. That's what the scripture tells us over and over again. The Bible declares that God created the entire universe from nothing. And it's that first verse there. Elohim bersit, the heavens and the earth. God created all of it. Everything that exists, everything that you see was a, came into existence through the wonderful and, and, and awesome work of God. Now, either you believe that or you don't. You either believe God's word is true or you don't believe it's true. And that's why it's so critical to understand Genesis because if you believe that there's a fault here at the very beginning of creation, then you won't believe what the Scripture says in the New Testament. You either believe literally what it says, and I'm a literalist, I believe what the Scripture says, or you don't believe in any of it. And and now the Scripture is up to your interpretation later on. And that's why I believe, and I'm so passionate about understanding Genesis and grasping hold of it and believing in the truth that God has, has given us in his word. The question is, how did Elohim create? And the answer is in verse 3. I want you to notice this very clear. In verse 3, it says that God spoke, and it was. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said, on each one of these days, God is speaking. It, does, it doesn't say that he gathered together this material and made that mountain. It said he spoke it into existence. He, he spoke to light and made light. He spoke to the sun, moon, and stars and made them. He spoke to the world as we know it and brought it together out of chaos. He did everything by, by this, what's known as divine fiat, by his power. He spoke the power of our God. That's, that's power really, when you think about it. God's method of creation was to speak. Again, look at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament. Verse 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yields seed. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament to the heavens to divide the day from night. And then verse 20, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. And verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. So again, how did God create world and everything in it he spoke the scripture makes it very very clear he spoke it all into existence out of bara out of nothing this is purely miraculous and that's what our god is and you and i need to understand who he is and that he's created by divine fiat by his command because he is god the god or god created from nothing is all over the scripture let me show you a couple of verses real fast psalm 33 verse 6 says by the word of the lord psalm 33 verse 6 by the word of the lord the heavens were made and then psalm 33 verse 9 for he spoke and it was done he commanded and it stood fast isn't that glorious the truth is for, throughout the bible i could show you others but the, the Bible teaches that God spoke and then it was. The scriptures are filled with that truth. In John 1, John 1 verse 3, notice this verse behind me on the screen. All things were made through him, speaking of Jesus, and without him was nothing made that was made. This truth that God created by speaking is illustrated I believe, in this amazing video. I showed it to you earlier uh, a couple years, almost two years ago. I want to show it to you again tonight.
1: Could I say, there is no God when all
0: It's fantastic. And it only really just kind of scratches the surface of our marvelous God and his creation. I've seen, my wife and I, you know, years ago, we were on a safari in Africa. It was 2008. We saw a giraffe. (laughs) That is an insane animal. An elephant, a lion in Africa. I've seen bears in the wilds of Montana I know that you've seen things that I haven't seen, and all of it is God's creation, his marvelous, marvelous work. So the answer to our first question is, how did God create the world we spoke? And and as you've seen from the video, amazing diversity in our world, amazing. When you consider the animals and topography and the planet and all that's going on around us. The second question that this portion of scripture answers is how long did it take God to create the universe another important question I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 turn to Genesis chapter 2 and and look with me at verse 2 in Genesis to answer the question how long did it take God to create the universe Genesis 2 verse 2 on the seventh day God ended his work How long did it take? Six days. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. That's what the Bible teaches. Wait, wait, wait. You couldn't do that. You couldn't possibly do that unless you were God. (laughs) That's the point. He's God. And from the power of, of, of God speaking into creation each and every day, on the seventh day, the Bible says, he ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. So scripture tells us clearly that creation was six days and he rested on the seventh. There's no ambiguity here. Absolutely clear, the scripture tells us that he created in six days. Again, go back to chapter one, we'll do it real fast. Verse five, God called the... Light, day, and the darkness called night. So notice in verse 5 of chapter 1, there was evening and morning the first day. Notice the detail here. You have day and night. You have evening and morning. Darkness, light, all of it's right there for you to to see. At the end of verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, so the evening and the morning were the Second day, verse 13. So the evening and morning were the third day. Evening and morning, fourth day, verse 19, verse 23. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then verse 31 of Genesis 1. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That's the point, that God ended his creation, it was complete in six days. It's amazing, isn't it? And you read it and you go, Pastor, that's miraculous. Pastor, that's supernatural. Lee, that's inexplainable. You're right, it is. All of creation, everything that we see, not only in our wor- world that we looked at here, this creation on this planet, but all the universe, I mean, when you consider how large the sun, and I don't know how many earths fit in the sun, it's a huge amount. There's some, there some stars out there. There's one Antare or whatever star. It's, it's so far away. It, it t- took us a telescope to look forever to find it. And, and our, our universe is swallowed up within this one sun. It's insane how large the universe is. So you might say, okay, well, I'm listening to what you say, Pastor, but, but what is the Why is it so important to believe that God created everything in the universe in six literal days? Here's my argument for you to believe in that, like I believe in that. If you don't believe that God created in six literal days, all you have left is evolution. That's all you have. There, there isn't another alternate view all you have is evolution. Now, there are Christians, I know some, I, they're, they're very close to me, some relatives and others that are what's called theistic evolutionists. In other words, they take the God of the Bible and they take science and they, they, they put those two together. They're called theistic evolutionists. There's many. I, I just don't believe that. I never have and I, I don't I never will. I believe what the scripture says, and I'll give you a couple of reasons. This text right here in Genesis 1 that God created leaves no room for evolution, for randomness, for chance, because God spoke exactly what he wanted and it was, came to be. Again, that's what the scriptures teach. Number two... Remember that evolution teaches that somehow matter formed. See, an evolution can never tell. Uh, evolutionists can't tell you where did matter come from. They look at you like, what does it matter? It, it, it's everything. Where does the substance come that took millions and billions and gazillions of years to to crash and bang and randomly finally come together and make something that that was life? Where did that matter come from? That's the problem. I believe it takes more to believe in that than it does to put faith in an awesome and mighty, powerful God that created the things that you just witnessed. So evolution teaches that somehow physical substance, that's matter, just randomly organized itself by chance. And here's, here's you really have to stretch this. You believe that that the smallest of organism that they have evolved into higher forms of life. Again, there's no science that ever indicates that an organism, a small organism, a a little, will will mutate to a bigger one. There is no uh, truth to that at all. Now, a lot of people say that, but there's no science. There's no evidence to that. Observable science teaches that no species is able to move up or increase or have this DNA that mutates into higher forms of life. And here's what happens. With mutations comes decrease. With mutations comes less and decrease always. And isn't that what we're witnessing right now in our world? Decrease. The sun is burning out. Things are decreasing. It's, it's called entropy or the study of thermodynamics. You can look that up and, and study that on your own. I went into detail before on that. What happened to God's perfect world was that sin entered in and it brought the decrease. Again, that's what the scriptures are teaching And for that, we need to go to chapter 2. So turn with me to chapter 2 where God created man. Really quick, we're going to look at a couple of verses. It's at the end of chapter 1 that we get the apex of God's creation. On the sixth day, God creates man, and he creates man in his likeness. And he says to man, have dominion over the planet, over all the animals, all the life. Man, I put you in the garden. I want you to have dominion over everything. And then we get a detailed of of man's creation uh, here in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But look at verse 7 with me. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That God breathed, that God did this work, that he breathed into man, and man became a A living being. What this verse is teaching is that man stands alone from all other animal life. That man stands alone, that man was made in God's image. Man didn't come from monkeys, he didn't come from anything. He has not evolved as a higher form of life. The Bible teaches that man is unique, that man is made in the image of God, and that God breathed into. Man, the breath of life. It's a real interesting word that you see in verse 7. It's ruach. Ruach is God breathe. God ruach, he breathed. It's the same word that's translated the Holy Spirit or spirit. God breathed into man, initiating this life into man. And man is unique and different Than all the animals. Again, the Bible teaches that life didn't happen through some accidental spark, a collision, heat. The Bible says that God spoke it into existence. Again, we're reading that uh, tonight. No random processes, no chance, no billions of years resulted in man. The Bible teaches that we were carefully designed by a creator. And he designed us. It's an incredible story that we read in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, as we move into verse 8, notice verse 8 of chapter 2, we get man in God's garden. Notice, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And both of these trees, by the way, are accessible. They're in the middle of the garden. They're totally accessible. There's no fence. There's no mountain to climb. It's it's this beautiful garden that God's provided and all the fruit that man would need to be sustained by. And in the middle, there's two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 16, jump down there. This is where God gives command. This is the first command in the scriptures. Verse 16, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you can eat freely. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat you shall surely die. So God gives this command. He says, I I don't want you to eat this tree of the knowledge of the good Uh, uh, pardon me the knowledge of good and evil so here's what God is doing with man he's made man he's placed him in the garden he's put him in a perfect place and he gives him a test this is a test and the test is I give you a command everything is yours here's my command don't touch this one I could say a lot about that. And children and parents, moms, you know exactly all about the don't touch that one thing when it comes to a child. But here in the middle of the garden is this test. Just one forbidden tree out of all the trees. And eating the fruit, God says, if you eat this fruit, there are two things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to be aware. You're going to be awakened and aware of evil. That's what he says. He says, And number two, that by eating the fruit, you will die. Those are the two things that that God is saying to him. You're going to know what evil is. You're going to lose all your innocence. I made you perfect. I made you sinless. I made you innocent. But eating of that tree is going to make you aware of good and evil. You'll lose your innocence. And number two, you'll die when you eat of that tree. So think about it. God gives Adam everything he wants. He gives him a perfect world. He gives him a perfect environment. Beauty beyond compare in the Garden of Eden. Wonderful animals to enjoy. And one prohibition, don't eat of this one tree. But he did. Adam and Eve ate of that tree. They disobeyed God. And again, The truth of this is with this one prohibition, with this forbidden fruit, don't eat of that tree, rather than be content with God and love God with all his heart, mind, and soul and just love the place that God's put him in the garden, he wasn't content. He was drawn to that that tree. He wanted to eat of that tree. He wanted to know good and evil. He wanted to make his own choice. He wanted to be his own person. He wanted to, to know more and, and reach out and do what he wanted. He wanted to make his own choice. Chapter three describes the fall of man. In verses one through seven there, we see clearly the, the description of man falling because of his disobedience. Again, this script, this chapter is probably the most important portion of the book of Genesis for you to understand, for you to get a handle of and grasp. Because if you don't understand sin and its nature, then you won't understand and you won't have a correct worldview when it comes to God saying, don't do this and don't do that and be this and be that. You won't get it. You won't understand. And you'll just do your own thing. You'll make choices, just like the world around you. I mean, think of the people around you. They don't know this. They don't know the truth of God's word. And so that's why I say it's so important to understand this. God creates a perfect universe. And all of it, in all of its perfection, it was all changed. It was all tainted when man ate the forbidden fruit. Everything that God had created was ruined by sin And if you don't catch that and understand sin and its effect on on Adam and Eve and their separation from God, death that came as a result of eating that, if you don't understand that, how can you understand salvation? How can you truly understand that, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place on the cross? See, you have to understand Genesis 3, again, explaining the origins of man's sin without this chapter, we don't understand it. We, we, we wouldn't have a solution for uh, God's remedy for sin because we wouldn't understand the basis of sin. So let's read just these seven verses in chapter three. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit, of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you should eat of it, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the women, you won't surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll know so much more, Eve, that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, again, the first thing that you'll notice as you read this passage, you don't see the word sin anywhere here. It's not in this chapter, but this is how sin entered the world. Sin came as a, as a deliberate choice of disobedience by Adam and Eve to do something that God had commanded them not to do. And in doing that, their eyes were opened. Their shame, their shame, they knew what they had done was wrong and they looked at each other and they felt shame for the very first time. Shame is a good thing. Shame is a good thing in the life of the believer. To understand the scriptures, to understand what good is, to understand what God's law is, and then to feel shame, is, that's a good thing because it'll chase you from it. In this case, they ate, they felt shame when they disobeyed God. And everything in that perfect, sinless, created place became bad immediately. As soon as they ate, Everything went from good to bad instantly. Paul says this in Romans 5. Look at this verse behind me on the screen. He says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. That's Genesis 3, this section we've just read. And death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. Paul is saying that that death came to all men because all have sinned. All men have sinned. In other words, we've all sinned because... We are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, all of us. It's our nature. It's our heritage. We've all sinned because we're all part of that family. It's all inherited sin. We have the inherited sin nature of our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Again, if you don't understand this chapter and you don't think that you have a corrupt nature. If you think you're essentially good, humanism teaches that you're good. It's, it's the way you view yourself. You have to have better self-esteem. You need to, to, to go somewhere and chant something and, and admit something, but, but you're essentially good. If you pull somebody up by their bootstraps, they'll be fine. But the Bible says, n- no. The, the Bible says that because of the Adamic sinful nature, that you'll never be able to pull up yourself up from your bootstraps, that you need a God to intervene. And it's a God, a great God, who's done that very thing. All humanity is corrupt. That's what the Bible's teaching. All humans are fallen sinners. And the source is the human heart. Here's a couple of verses real quick. You know these. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, This is the Christian worldview. This is how we view the world. A a biblical Christian sees the world in this light. We're not perfect. Everything that we see and touch has been tainted, has been twisted by sin. And we understand because we have Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is our crucial teaching to help us understand those truths. Now, I have some more here. I'm going to lay off tonight and pick it up. But I'm going to answer the question. Here's the question for next week. Put that up there for me. There's the question. So what is it? And we're going to pick up next week. Again, all of these things are here in, in this beginning. We're going to go from this chapter and we'll probably finish. We'll probably just buzz right through to Abraham really quickly next week. But This book is so important, it's so foundational that when you get a grasp of this book, you'll understand redemption, you'll understand the blood of Christ, you'll understand God's great love to intervene, to come into the world, to redeem this creation that he loves so much, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story about redemption that we see throughout the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word today. This evening, Lord, we've looked at these uh, chapters in the book of beginnings, the origins of life, and I I just pray that in these times uh, and and reading tonight, I know that there are some here that are challenged, I, I know that there's some here that that might say, you know, uh, that sounds good, but, uh, but I choose to believe this. I, I just pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just reveal your truth to them, that your word would speak its truth into our lives, that we, Lord, would see ourselves so far under to see us ourselves who we really are, sinners, and yet saved by the grace, your grace, your mercy. And so, Lord, teach us, help us, encourage us. We love your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus I pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.